Word for You is presented by Grace Point Church in Lakewood, Ohio. We are located at the intersection of Warren and Alger and welcome you to visit us in person or online at gracepointlakewood.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-P-O-I-N-T-E-L-A-K-E-W-O-O-D dot com. Listen to podcasts of sermons from our pastor, Mike Bartolone, and various guest pastors. You will see that grace is always the point, and you are always welcome. I want to talk about the revelation of the heart. The revelation of the heart. Let's start in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. This is the scripture that has literally provoked my heart to talk about our hearts. (laughs) Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart... So is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The first and and the most telling part of this verse is the fact that no matter what a person is doing or saying, who they really are is who they are in their heart. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it comes out of the heart. But this verse is, however, another incredibly important concept that is revealed here in this verse. It's a small little verse. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The word think comes from a word that means to split, as in a gate. I never looked at a gate or a door or an opening as a split. But that's what it says in the Hebrew of this word. This word think means a split in the door, a split in the gate. It also can refer to a porter, a janitor, or a keeper. And this is what we understand from this word. Thoughts, your thoughts, my thoughts, are the gatekeeper of the heart. Are the gatekeeper of the heart. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. I would challenge you to go in even to the book of Proverbs and just look for the word heart, how many times it's there. Just the, just the book of Proverbs. Just If you go through the whole Bible, you might need a pretty thick volume to figure it out because it's, it's well used. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. 3.14 through 21. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Wow. That's powerful scripture. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That could be heart as well. That, that phrase, inner man, means your heart. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded, where? In love. You know, Galatians 5, 6 says that faith worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints... In case you're wondering who you are, all are in this room, you're all saints. Every You don't have to wait to be canonized by the Catholic Church. You're all saints. You read the New Covenant after you're born again, no more are you called by Apostle Paul who writes two-thirds of the New Testament ever a sinner who's led by the Holy Spirit to tell you you're all saints. In the Spirit, I hate to tell you this, you're perfect. In your soul, you need your mind renewed. And in your body, you don't even want to go there. Because Jesus says, I don't want to know anybody at this point after the flesh. And if your mind gets renewed and you start seeing as God sees and your heart gets healed, then you don't walk in the flesh anymore. You don't struggle with it. We'll talk about more of that probably next week. But may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length, the depth and the height. And that's that scripture there, if you really wanted to analyze it and look at it, all you have to go to is to Ezekiel 47 where he talks about the depth of the water when it comes out of the temple. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, so deep that you have to swim. That's what that's talking about. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Second Peter, let's go to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Well, let's start in verse 1. I'm just going to start, well, let's start in verse 3 because I told her that, so she'll have it up to right. Thank you, Julie. Second Peter 1, 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us, all things. Say all things. All means, in the, in the Greek, all means all. That pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4. By which we have been given, to, which would have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Brian alluded to that in his opening of how many promises we have in the Bible, 7,700 that are ours. So you got a lifetime to figure it out. That's why you have to live to be at least as old as Methuselah. You know, you figure it out how old he was. Great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of what kind of nature? A divine nature. 
See, in Christ, you don't have an old nature. You don't have an old man. You have a divine nature. Don't be confused. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So understanding the heart will lead to the most significant spiritual revelation of our day when you understand your heart. What has been revealed through active study and personal development is that a more biblical understanding of the heart could be the most single important aspect of human development. Actually, many leaders in Christ feel that the revelation of the heart is the key factor to usher us into the greatest move of God we've ever seen on the earth. The greatest. Why is this important? Because when we connect with God in our hearts as opposed to our minds, we will be moving the invisible boundaries that have defined the extent of personal growth, health, happiness, and success. And after all, God is a heart God. Say, God is a heart God. I told you that last week and the week before. He's not after just lip service. He doesn't just want to be your weekend girlfriend where you just come on Sundays and just, you know, humor him. He wants a relationship with you seven days a week. 24 days, seven days a week. 365 days a year. Amen? We are instructed to believe on Jesus in our heart. The word must be sown in our heart. To bear fruit, God speaks to us as in our heart. And so the list of biblical references to the heart's effect on every aspect of our life, as you start studying it out in the scriptures, is endless. It's endless. And it can be said that there's nothing God does in the life of a believer that occurs outside of the realm of the heart. I'll say that again. It can be said that there's nothing that God does in the life of a believer that occurs outside of the realm of the heart. What's even more alarming is that very few Christians have ever been taught anything about the heart. We've been talk, we talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the gifts. We talk about the fruits. But we hardly ever talk about the heart. When the Bible says, out of the issues of the heart, my life exists. I, everything flows out of my heart. I mean, it's impossible that one missing ingredient required to actually experience all spiritual reality has been ignored through 2,000 years of religious legalism, tradition, and carnal thinking. Heart belief is the prerequisite and the condition that allows us to participate in any good thing God has given, including new birth. Many people don't even understand their birth in Christ. I mean, everything hinges on one thing in, a in the book of Colossians, that we are complete in him. It says it in Colossians chapter 2, that we are complete in him. And if you don't ever get that as a believer, you'll struggle your whole life trying to please God. You'll try to please him. You'll try to get his approval. You don't need to do that. All you need to do is believe in the finished work of Jesus and that you're complete in him. Operating faith in the promises of God and living the resurrection life. So resurrection is not something we just practice on Easter because it's Resurrection Sunday. It's something we live out every day. It's our victory every day. 
And since the kingdom of God is a spiritual phenomenon only accessible internally, it stands to reason the door to the kingdom is our heart. That belief to receive from God, it's how we and where we believe, thereby allowing us to receive from God. I don't know about you, I love when God chases me down with a blessing. Amen? And I don't even know what's coming. He just chases me down and throws it at me. And I go, woo! Tammy said, oh! (laughs) But the heart is where the invisible transforms into the visible, where the impossible is made possible, and the spiritual reality explodes onto the physical plane of our lives. The best way to understand our hearts is to look at your heart like an automobile ignition. How many know what an ignition is on your automobile? It used to be just a key. Today it could be a button. It doesn't matter how big and well-tuned the engine is. The tank may be filled with high-octane fuel, not 87, 93, The tires are the top of the line. The paint job is impeccable. And without an ignition to light its fire, all you've got is a well-built paperweight. The car looks good, but doesn't really do anything. See, our lives in Christ, we have the truth. We have our Bibles. We have the Word of God. We have our doctrine. We have volumes of knowledge. But let's face the dismal reality too often. It's not working as it should. Even when we manage to get aspects of the Word of God to work, it's kind of a hit and miss. We're not really sure why it does or doesn't work. We're lacking consistency that should be present in a God that is never contradictory or chaotic. See, in today's religious sinkhole of spirituality, all things give way to intellectualism. i got to slow down. I'm speaking like Charles Stanley. Control has replaced today power. Positive thinking is the fad substitute for faith in the heart. And in religion, we're told to close our eyes... Confess the truth a million times. Be full of remorse for all our sins. And if God is in a good mood, the last anointed prayer prayed over us might kick in. See, our 21st century gospel doesn't even resemble the message of Jesus or the early church. Unlike Jesus who perform miracles out in the open among the lost, we hide behind the church walls because what we do only works with those initiated in the club who speak our language and who have brought culture into the church walls. But what's worse is the absence of a personal moral lifestyle that should be the organic expression of all of our belief in Jesus Christ. For far too many today in Christ, we know we have the truth. It just doesn't show up in our lives. Does it? 
Am I wrong? I mean, there's some Christians that got to find out if there's enough evidence to convict them as a Christian. What's the problem? The issue is the heart. Or more specifically, the beliefs of the heart that have been consistently omitted from the application of spiritual truth. The one central truth is missing. If we don't believe God's word in our heart, our hopes of living in his promises are in vain. I could tell you every week there's 7,700 promises. But that can be all in vain. See, coming to understand and apply the truth of the heart opens the door to all we have learned about God. It doesn't cause us to discard the truth we have known. It brings us into perspective. It helps us to understand It puts the application of God's word within our reach, no longer something that seems far off and unattainable. Amen? And it certainly doesn't require some spiritual guru to supply it to us. We get to have our Bible with us on our lap at night. Open it up and read it. And the Spirit of God will speak to you. He says those who are of the Spirit, those who are born again, will be led by the Spirit. Thus, we don't even pass an offering here. We just put it over there. Because we figured, you got it figured out. You're being led by the Spirit. How much should I give? What should I give? How much? Let Him tell you. I'm not telling you. If you don't know by now in your, in your walk with God, it comes by, all giving comes by revelation as the Holy Spirit leads you. That's how it happens. I mean, you can guilt people, but I'm not guilting you. You can condemn people, but I'm not condemning you. You're going to be led by the Spirit of God. (coughs) Over the last several decades, so many wonderful biblical truths have been restored to the body of Christ. The problem is, however, restoration of information has not actually translated into transformation, Kevin. See, more information has it necessarily translated into better quality of life or spiritual fruit in the believer. The truth is this this flood of information, for the most part, has given rise to a negative backlash. After hoping in so many failed doctrines, believers succumb to the many dangerous paths that simply lead to more frustration, desperation, and vulnerability. See, the issue of the heart has been eluded. The majority of believers in every generation from Moses until this very day, far too many are determined to hold on to their self-life and only surrender to God externally. I'm talking about your heart internally, the inner man. That's the most important thing to God. Not what you do externally. The legalists of today point to disobedience as the issue. But God's word is clear that disobedience is the result of a heart of unbelief. Too many today reject God's word, God's purposes, and God's promises because the great majority of the 21st century church has rejected the finished work of Jesus and think they have to go out and do something because he didn't do enough. As far as I'm concerned, Jesus did it all on the cross. And and as far as I'm concerned, if Jesus did it all, I have enough. Because the Lord is my shepherd. 
And I shall not want. I have no want. He fulfilled it all. And I get to praise him freely and worship him freely. I have no problem worshiping here for two hours. I don't know if you could hang on that long, but it has no problem in my body. I have no problem. Sometimes I worship in my own privateness, sometimes six hours or eight hours. I've even gone for three days. Because God is able to fulfill my plate. He's able to fill everything that I have need of, even food. As the absolute basis for knowing and experiencing God, instead of believing on the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus in our hearts, we're asked to intellectually agree with the information. Then many wonder why there's no power. Now, you can go into a lot of churches today and never see the power of God. You'll never see a person even healed. You'll never even see a, people, a person prayed for or fall out or something. But we would do well to heed Apostle Paul's words found in 1 Corinthians. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's right after chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. He says, For I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It makes it it kind of simple. Amen? I don't want to know anything among you. I don't want to hear nothing from you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Verse 4, my speech and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what we need to see, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I'll tell you what, you raise somebody from the dead, you see it. You know, if you're in a third world company like China and overseas and third world countries, if you don't raise people from the dead, you don't get licensed as a minister. I think we'd put a lot of ministers in America out of business. Because I know a lot of pastors who have never seen even one person raised from the dead. And I've had the privilege of seeing four come back to life. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Verse 5, that your faith, he says, that your belief, that your heart should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the power of God. See, today too many want God, but they don't want to experience Him. I don't know about you, I, I want everything. If you have a boring life, get in the Spirit. You won't be bored anymore. Man's religion has tried to make this all harder than it really is because you have, according to God, sufficient faith. It says in the Word, God has given to every man a measure of faith. And the problem is someone needs to show you how faith actually works from the heart. See, our external focus, carnal-minded culture has focused and functioned only from the mind, but not from the heart. 
Too many today operate in intellectualism and call it faith. And I'm not against being smart. Because I study the Word like crazy. My wife says, I mean, I was up last night. I don't know what. what, I don't think I went to bed till 4 a.m. My wife's in the other room snoring. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) She's done with the kids. Our problem isn't lack of faith, church. Our problem is pretty simple first, though. We're not clear about the provisions of the new covenant. Second, we attempt to use our faith to get what Jesus has already given us. I'll repeat that phrase. We attempt to use our faith to get what Jesus has already given us, thereby denying the finished work of Jesus. Our faith must be in the finished work of Jesus Not our works, not what we do, not our behavior. See, last and by no means least, we must learn that true, effective faith comes from our heart, not our head. 18 inches. I've done sermons on that thing too. Please don't mistake developing the heart or your heart with behavioral modification. Behavior modification isn't usually done through a form of conditioning. It's usually done, excuse me, it's usually done through a form of conditioning. Conditioning is not altogether wrong. It's only wrong when it's a substitute for the true change of a heart. See, grace equals God's power and capacity and ability, which comes through unmerited faith, unmerited favor, and works from the heart And it's what makes us able to be and do and have what God promises. Grace only comes through faith in the heart. Conditioning is is not altogether wrong when it's used properly. The idea of a move of God is not actually spiritually within the new covenant framework. The idea that God is not moving and we could somehow do enough to get him to move is totally a legalistic concept. Totally. Fraught with self-destructive deception and doctrinal error. You hear that a lot today. We're just waiting for the next move of God. I'm not. You want revival? I'm it. You're it. You've been revived from your death and trespasses and sins. You're alive. You're revival. You could say it. I am revival. I'm it. Let's play tag. I'm it. God has done all that needs to be done through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. We, not God, are the ones who need to move. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, Go! Go! What don't you understand? The G or the O? We need to move ourselves to an immovable heart beliefs concerning the Lord Jesus and his resurrection. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and read this. Oh, this is just so precious to me. Luke 2. Whew. Sounds like a Christmas scripture. Doesn't it? Luke 2 verse 8. 2, 8. Let's start there. When you're there, if you have your Bible... And you have a pen, you might want to make some notes, circle some things. 
It says, now there were in the same country shepherds. Say shepherds. Living out in the fields. Oh, my gosh. They don't have a house. They don't even have a condo. They don't have an apartment. They're not even renting a room somewhere. They're living out in the fields with the bears and the tigers. Oh, my. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and behold... How many of you know I'm not reading to a fairy tale? I'm not reading to a fairy tale. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Could you imagine what it was like? And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. There wouldn't be one of us in this room who wouldn't be greatly afraid if you sat in your place of study at your house where you are in your private place and you're reading your Bible and an angel appears in front of you, I'm going to tell you something. You better have your depends on. You better be ready because you're going to be afraid. Because that angel came from the presence of the Lord. And he's carrying that glory. I've had that experience. And the glory of a ro- and they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people, not just those here in Jerusalem, not those just here, not all people, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Polish, Hungarian, Italian, Puerto Rican, Mexican, doesn't matter, black, white, doesn't matter, social, economic, doesn't matter, all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, Christmas is not about what we make it to be. Every one of us who put up Christmas lights better have a stable out front so you can tell your neighbors it's not about anything but Jesus. Christ the Lord. I've worn out probably 20 in my lifetime of being known Jesus for over 40-some years. I probably wore out more nativity scenes than I could even shake a stick at. I wear them out. Got to throw them away and buy a new one. I just put up a new one this year. If you want to go buy my house, I got a brand new one. I put it up yesterday in a windstorm. So I know that sucker ain't going to fall down. When I opened it up after I bought it, it didn't have nothing on the bottom. I can't even anchor it in the ground. I had to create it. I had to create the whole thing. I was going, Jesus. I'll be out here till dark. No wonder I'm up till four in the morning studying. Even though my sermon was done on Tuesday, I still had all week to figure it out and keep asking God, what do you want to do? And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in Hampton Inn. I mean, no, he wasn't born in Hampton Inn. He wasn't born at Ritz-Carlton. 
He was born in a stable, a dirty stable. Probably the manger, you know, was kind of stinky. Who knows? It didn't matter. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. This is st- we're still out in the field, church, with a bunch of shepherds and sheep. We didn't leave the scene yet. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Out, in the sh- out with the sheep and shepherds. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us now go. You know, we're out here in the field. Let us know. Let's go and see what's going on here. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at at those things which were told to them by a bunch of stinky shepherds. I don't know if you've ever been around a shepherd that all they do is take care. I'm going to tell you something about sheep. They stink. Did you ever smell a sheep? Man. I remember once my wife said to me, Honey, I want to have a sheep in my house. I said, No, you don't. I said, No, you don't, babe. I'm telling you, you don't want to have a sheep. They stink worse than goats. Did you ever smell a stinky goat? Man, sheep stink worse. Because they got that big woolly coat full of bugs and smell and when they roll around on the ground in their poop and everything else and their pee and they just get up and walk around. Hey, we're okay now. Are you okay? I'm not okay. Shoo. So this, this, this is how God works, okay? So I says, God, you have to give my wife a revelation of why she doesn't want a sheep. So we went out of pastor's thing years ago. We went to California to pastor... Jim Hayford, who's Jack Hayford's brother, he put us up at a farm in the mountains of San Monica Mountains on a farm that was probably 2,000 acres. It was a sprawling house. Like I mean, you, you couldn't imagine. This house was, had a house here and a house in the middle and a house over and a guest house attached to the side. He put us in the guest house, and behind the house was a whole field of sheep. And I said, honey, look what God did for you, babe. He gave you the sheep you want. So she went out and started mingling with the sheep. She came back and says, honey, them things stink. I said, yes, they do, baby. We got rid of that sheep thing real quick. And guess who took care of it? My father in heaven. He orchestrated the whole thing and took care of it. He is so good. So, honey, next time we want a sheep, would you look at it from afar? I like that sheep over there in that farmer's yard. Oh, yeah, you take care of it over there. (laughs) But Mary, it says in verse 19, kept all these things and pondered them where? In her heart. In her heart. That's where she thought about them. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told. And 
you can read the rest of the story the rest of the week, okay? But the new covenant, which is established between God the Father and the Lord Jesus, is the covenant of peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, you can't figure it out. It's beyond your ability to know. And that's where trust comes in. It's no different than you getting on an airplane. And you've got to trust that the pilot is educated enough to get that, that tons, how many tons that plane is off the ground into the air and get you to your location and that he is able to do it and that he is conscious to do it and that he didn't drink all night and then come to work in the morning drunk or half messed up. Trust. Say trust. Trust in the Lord with all your strength. Lean not upon your own understanding. How many trust him? I trust that the Lord did it all. And I'm complete in him. In my spirit, I am perfect. On the outside, mm, we got some work to do. Amen? God's not done with me yet. If he's done with you, you might be going to heaven soon, but he's not done with me. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and one of God's covenant names is Jehovah Shalom. And according to a prophecy based on Isaiah, Jesus will guide people into the way of peace. And the believer in Christ who knows they are living in the finished work of Jesus realize that the battle is within. Holy Spirit lives inside. The new man is within. The kingdom is within. And so then all the solutions to all of things are within. And we can conclude that we're not being attacked from the outside. I'm being carnally minded because I continue to use my five senses rather than the Spirit of God. I'm aware of what my five senses say that I am aware of that and of what Christ in me is saying, but I end up magnifying my problem because I don't depend on him. See, the solution will always be to magnify God through the connecting to the resurrection life that we share with Jesus. And Apostle Paul offers us a three-phase solution. This is what I'll conclude with. I have some more, but I'll save it for next time because I know your time is as equally as important as mine is. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Here's a three-phase solution found in your Bible. Three-phase solution. This is Counseling 101, and you get it for free. You don't have to pay for it. I always say I have a plaque in my office. Advice is free. Counseling will cost you. And if you use either one, it's a miracle. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. Ephesians 4:22. It said that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on say the new man the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He didn't say in any of those three, three verses, Repent! He didn't say repent. 
in any of those three persons. Did he? Did you just read that with me? Do you see repent there? I don't see it. Because repentance is implied by the fact that you need to renew your mind. He didn't tell us to confess because that is implied by the fact that you acknowledge your need to renew your mind. He didn't even say God needed to do something on your behalf that would deny the finished work of Jesus. He didn't tell you to seek deliverance, although this process would facilitate any needed deliverance if you were doing what that Bible said in those three verses. And he did not tell you there's something you lack which you need to get from God. This would deny the reality that we are complete in Christ. See, the solution to these behavioral issues would all be solved by taking three internal steps. And here is what is being solved by the finished work of the cross. Problems with hardness of heart. Problems with walking in darkness. Problems with corrupt understanding and carnal logic. And it would connect you to the life of God that is in you, the resurrection life you share with Jesus. It's only the grace of God that can change a heart. The law cannot, works cannot, and human wisdom cannot. Only Jesus. Love has a name. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and Paul put it this way, our lives need to be found in him. As he is, because I am in him. And because I share in his death, burial, and resurrection, we only share this identity when by act of faith we abide in fellowship. He wanted to be found, he wanted to be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That's what Paul said. The issue of faith righteousness must be settled and absolute if you have any intention of making this heart journey with him. The heart can only function within the boundary of who you are in Christ, not who you want to become. When we share in his victories, the battle with us, within us, is over because then we have effortless living replacing striving. Trying to get is replaced by in him. Trying to become is eradicated in him. The transition from being controlled by the five senses through the carnal mind to yield to Christ in you ends the struggle. We move from the carnal to the spiritual. The crooked path is made straight in him. The way becomes easy in light in him is our victory now and forever. Amen. Amen. As the worship team comes, let me just give you this one final scripture, and this will be my last. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6. She's got it up there already. She beat me. Proverbs 6, 21. It says, Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. 
And when you awake, they will speak with you. That's the commandments of the Lord, the goodness of God. Amen? It's all about the heart. God is the God of the heart. Amen? And because we are people who believe in the finished work of Christ, we are people of the heart. Because we believe Jesus did it all for us. Amen? And he loves us and he keeps us. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Complete it. He will complete it. Don't have to worry how it's going to all work out. Just stay in Christ. Stay in him. Because you're complete in him. Amen.